so glad about that. Epaphras, Jethro, and Damon's wife, Maeve, Jabez, Shifra, Pua, Baruch, Josiah, Mephibosheth. Let's just see if you can pronounce it this week. All right. Next week, it'd be Jairus. Get Bill Carson's going. Read chapter 8. It's right there on the front of your bulletin. Again, to the prayer of Jabez, we talked about First Chronicles chapter four, nine through ten. Why don't you pray it with me again? Here we go. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, "Because I bore him in pain." Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, "Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my borders, and that your hand might be with me." that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted his request. Well, when God grants your request as you pray it, let me know about it, okay? Had one today come, or had the one this week come to me, and a lady said that uh, she went to the doctor's office. She was there in the waiting room with other people, and uh, she just talked to the lady next to her, got to, you know, a little bit of small chat, and needs were there, and she said, can I pray for you? And before the lady could answer, she prayed for her. <laughs> she didn't reject in any way, but I just remind you, you know, people will accept that, and that's the way to have the border enlarged. So that's one way to do that. And I had that yesterday. I went to Parkview to see a couple people from our church that were there, and um, as I was checking in at the, uh, the uh, main desk there, and I told him I needed to know where Robbie Welch was, and I needed to know Barrett was, and they gave me the numbers uh, where they were at, and I just kind of turned and I started to go toward the uh, monitoring the you know check check you machine, and uh, lady said, "Are you a pastor?" I, I didn't look like one to be honest. Uh, at that point, I didn't have a tie on. I kind of had a it was raining, and I took my little plaid shirt that I had here, and, and uh, I guess maybe she heard me get a couple names and numbers and figured it's got to be a pastor to see more than one person while they're here. She said, uh, if you had time, would you go out and visit my sister in uh, 472? And so I, I said, if, if I can do that, I will. And so I wrote down her name. Uh, her name was Lori. Her name was Linda that was telling this. Her sister's name was Lori. So as I made my first visit, I walked up the stairs and, and uh, came into their room and just said, hi, I'm Pastor Scott. Met your sister downstairs. And she kind of goes, yeah, <laughs> like that. And I said, is it all right if I would come in and pray for you? So I went in and prayed for her. God enlarged our border. I was able to leave my card there. Um, God enlarged my border. An opportunity to be there. He'll do that for you too. Let's keep praying that prayer. And let me know. We want to share as God has that opportunity for you. So uh, thank you so much for praying that prayer with me. Today we're going to talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Prisca, as it is in the, some of the places here in the, the uh, Word of God, um, very interesting. Happened to read your daily bread on Tuesday, and you would have noticed that it was about mentions them. So, a little hard to read that, I understand, but uh, I have it right here. 
insurance salesmen to find out what made them successful. Surprisingly, competence wasn't the key factor. Instead, Evans found customers were more likely to buy from salesmen with the same politics, education, even height as them. Scholars call this homophilia, the tendency to prefer people like us. We understand that, right? We all understand that. Homophilia is at work in other areas of life, too, while us tending with us tending to marry and befriend people similar to us. While natural, homophilia can be destructive when left unchecked. When we only prefer our kind of people, society can fracture along racial, political, and economic lines. In the first century, Jews stuck with Jews, Greeks with Greeks, and rich and poor never mingled. And yet in Romans chapter 16, 1 through 16, which we're going to look at in a little bit, Paul could describe the church in Rome as including Priscilla and Aquila, Jewish, Epinetus, Greek, Phoebe, a benefactor of many, so probably wealthy, and Philologus, a name common for slaves. What have brought such different people together? You got it. There you go. You know the answer. It's a Sunday school answer, but it's true. Jesus, in whom there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, Galatians chapter 3. It's natural to want to live, work, and go to church with people like us. Jesus pushes us beyond that, increases our border. Chapter 4, or 1 Chronicles 4, right? David's prayer. Jesus pushes us beyond that. In a world fracturing along various lines, he's making us a people who are different together, united in him as one family. <laughs> so, maybe you read that. You didn't know we were doing um, Priscilla and Aquila, but always check the bulletin because it'll give you an idea of where we're going next week. Being part of that. So, so uh, I find it interesting, again, another God thing. I'm reading my uh, open windows, the other devotionals, and they are available for the next quarter. Okay, they're out there on the table, starting in September, open windows and daily bread. I'm reading in open windows. The last few days have been on Isaiah, 40, Isaiah 47 through 53. Guess where I am in my one-year Bible? Just like God. Put yourself in these places, read these devotionals. You're going to see God's going to just fit it together with you. Get yourself devotionals. He's done a great job. See what God does, how he puts it all together. Does that all the time. All right, so Priscilla and Aquila, Prisca, as it says in Romans chapter 16 and a couple other places. Uh, Prisca, Priscilla is the wife. Aquila is the husband. All right. And uh, I'm going to give you a little chronology. So turn to Acts chapter 18, if you would. You may be in Romans already, but just a little bit of chronology for you to be able to make this first point. Acts chapter 18, when we kind of get to know them just a little bit. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, Claudius who was the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. All right, Pontus, I had to look that one up because I have no idea where that was at. Uh, it's a little region on the bottom of the Black Sea. That's modern-day Turkey. So he's a long ways being in being in Rome, where he was he was in Rome, been in Rome. You know now he's in Corinth. Um, he's a long ways away from his home. I mean, I don't know, probably 800 miles, maybe a thousand miles away from there from where he grew up. So that's kind of the southern part of the Red Black Sea, which is the area of Turkey. 
says here he had to leave Rome because Claudius, the emperor, said all the Jews had to leave. It wasn't necessarily persecution, but it was an ousting of all these people. Paul meets him on Corinth. This is his second missionary journey. We know as we read through this passage that Paul was there and doing historical studies that Paul was in Corinth for about 18 months, a year and a half he was there. Going back to the text, and Paul, at the end of chapter, verse 2, and Paul went to see them, Priscilla and Aquila, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Maybe that even home builders in our world, right? And he reasoned in the synagogue, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So they've got this common ground, all right, just as Sheridan Boise, as he mentioned, we like people with common ground, Paul and Aquila are tent makers, so they have something common to talk about. Maybe they talk about, well, what kind of bread did you use for this? And, right? All the things that tent makers talk about, which you know, everybody knows about that, right? Yeah, right, okay. All right, Con continue on. In 18, verse 18, of chapter 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers, and he set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So they're going with Paul now. At Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. Uh, that was on my test, one of my tests for the book of uh, New Testament. Where did Paul get his hair cut? At Centuria. It's a very valuable thing to know, right? Just in case you end up in Centuria someday, you can get your hair cut there, right? Okay? Matter of fact, my friend who'd been in seminary about 15 years before me told me that answer was going to be on the test. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Brett Brahms, who my friend, said, you're going to take that test, and that question is going to be on there. Where Paul got his haircut? And 15 years later, it was. All right. They went to Ephesus. He left them there, Priscilla and Aquila. He leaves them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, Paul. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return it to you if God wills, and he set sail for Ephesus. So we see them a little bit there. So go down to verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, which is in northern Africa, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They have a chance to disciple him just a little bit. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. This is, um, this is uh, Apollos. And wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those in grace and who had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures that Christ was the Jesus. Okay, so we see they've been in Rome. They now go to Corinth, okay? then, uh, we think they probably came to Christ in Corinth. We don't know where they came to Christ, but possibly that's where they came to Christ. Under Paul, that they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and began growing, and obviously they spent lots of time with Paul. That's why they could come upon Apollos, come upon Paulus, and they can help him to know the scriptures more accurately, and he was a, he was a great communicator, but they helped him, and they discipled him in his life. Then we go to Romans chapter 16, where, kind of where I'm kind of taking most of my sermon from today, a few verses there. And this is to Paul writing to the church, 
to the Romans, and he says in verse 3, 16, Romans 16, verse 3, Greet Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but to all the churches and the Gentiles give thanks as well. This is to the Romans, so it looks like they've been back in Rome for a while. They have a house church in Rome. And then we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 19, and it appears that as Paul writes to them, to Ephesus, that's where that letter was going to, to Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor, that he greets them and he says, say hi to them. So it appears that they've been in Ephesus again. Now that's kind of best chronologically I can put it. If it's not correct, let me know. I'll take your word too, and we'll see if we can figure it all out. We're just trying to give you a little bit of chronology about them. Now, this is what I'm thinking in the first point. All this movement, all this movement. Listen, this is not easy. I, I mean, it's, I know it's not easy to move. Uh, Joey's here today and, and visiting back with us again. He moved to Dumas, Texas a while back, about three or four months ago. And he told me today, he said, you know, moving's not very easy. It's not very easy, is it? I mean, if you just move in town. Uh, we've moved three times in, in 40 years of marriage. And uh, when we came here 21 years ago, my wife said to me that, We'd moved two times our first 20 years ago. She said to me that she said, you better do a good job because I don't want to move again. <laughs> I don't know if I've done a good job, but you've let me stay, all right? And I'm thankful for that. But moving's hard. You just moved two blocks away from each other, three blocks, Garrison. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, if you're just moving that, that little distance, moving is hard. And I'm thinking about these these people, Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, just across the street. We're talking about miles and miles, hundreds, thousands of miles. It's not like they got Mayflower. It's not like they got U-Haul. But they make these moves. And I'm kind of thinking this way. They're just people that were available. And I put it availability because I'm going to have fun with my main point. They had an availability to them. They were flexible to do whatever God wanted them to do. And I was thinking about that even this morning as I was reviewing my sermon. And I'm thinking, hmm, who's been flexible in Scripture? Man, there's this guy named Isaiah. And God came to him, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to do my work. And what did Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord, send me. But you know what he recognized before that, just a few verses before that? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Good job of picking a great song to talk about. Before God called him, he recognized God was holy. And that moved him to say, Lord, here I am. I, I will go where you want me to do. I'll do what you want me to do. And I think that here, Priscilla and Aquila, as they do that. Certainly we know Paul does. But all this movement for them, they were people who were available. And I'd ask you, and I'm going to ask you in each of my points today, what would the Apostle Paul say about your availability for the work that he's called you to do? Are we open to say, God, this is, this is what I hear you saying to me. This is the guidance you're giving to me. I will go and I will do what you want me to do. 
Now, most of us are going to go across the sea, but we can go across the street to somebody who needs Jesus, right? We're all called to do that. It's a part of who we are and what we're supposed to do as Christian brothers and sisters. Loving on the people around us, caring for them and helping them to grow. What would the Apostle Paul say of your availability? The second point is the word I made up. Servability. <laughs> you got to make a match today, okay? You're going to remember it. Servability. Romans chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. went through this with uh, looking at Warren Wiersbe in one of his commentaries, and he was talking about all the names that are in Romans chapter 16. So as I was working through it yesterday, I went and I counted, and he greets at least 26 people by name. 26 people. Even as Mr. Sheridan wrote in the Daily Bread, he gave a few of them. But he, he mentions all these people. I, I, want, I, want, I want you to greet them because they're important to me. They're a part of my life, and they're valuable. There's a couple of people that aren't even named in here. He says, and greet his mother at one point. And he says also at one point, and greet his sister. He doesn't name them, but they're people that are important to him and valuable to him. Maybe he forgot their names. I don't know. But the fact is he knows that they're important, and he wants them to be recognized too. He recognizes that there are several churches that are meeting in homes. And he closes with greetings from eight believers. He says, these people want to greet you. This is important. These are people I know, you know, and they want to say hi to you. They want you to know you're important in their life. This is an incredible chapter, an incredible chapter of names of people that they love and that love one another. Paul begins his tribute here regarding Priscilla and Aquila by calling them fellow workers in Christ Jesus. I made up the said, because I was just trying to make it fit. But it's talking about fellow workers as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses this term in a couple other places. He talks of Timothy as a fellow worker, Romans chapter 16, 9 and 21. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you say it, is a fellow servant. He says of Philemon in his book, he's a fellow worker. I think that term brings out this servability aspect. They're, they're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ being able to be a part of his life. That's the first thing we notice. Simple. They're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I thought that was very interesting in here, verse 4, it says this, who risked their necks for my life. <laughs> All week long I've been thinking about that. That is, that, that's an idiom we would use, right? So I went, I got out my Greek interlinear because I don't remember my Greek, but it's there somewhere. But I got out my interlinear, and it gets the Greek, and then it gives the translation. And I noticed that in that, it's the New American Standard interlinear, I noticed that was the word for neck. The NIV says he gave his life. They gave their lives for him. But here it says necks. So, hey, this, this idiom about the necks being really important has been around a long time. <laughs> we, he risked his neck for us. That's so, that's so significant. We don't know what they did. 
It doesn't ever say anywhere what they did to risk their necks for him. But we're sure glad he did, right? We're certainly glad that they did, that they did something. They protected him, maybe. They helped him, whatever it is. They came alongside and, and they served Paul by maybe taking a very difficult step, a step of concern and care and protection to be able to help Paul out. He had to serve him. We've all had those people in our life, haven't we? Who've kind of risked our neck, they risked their neck for us. They've, they've gone out of the way for us. They've helped us. They've done something for us that was a little bit concerning, maybe a little bit hard for them to do. Maybe it was hard for us to accept what they did, but they did that for us. Why? Because they loved the Lord and they loved us. serve you. Yeah, this could be difficult. This could be hard. But I will do this because I love you and I care for you. Keep doing it. That's called servability, even if it's really not a word. Third thing. Think of this. All the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. These people are known. Not just here in Rome. All the churches in these geographic areas, they know who Priscilla and Aquila are. And all these churches are thankful for how they've ministered in their lives and cared for them. With the area they're talking about in the Gentile churches would be the area of Greece, the area of Turkey in that area, Macedonia, Serbia, Bosnia in that area. Those areas would be the places that these churches of the Gentiles would be known for. And lastly, as a servability, commends them for their serve and having a church in their home. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So let me ask you this. What would the Apostle Paul say about your servability? What would the Apostle Paul say about your servability for Jesus? Would you make his list like Priscilla and Aquila? Servability, hospitality really is a word, too. I didn't make that one up. That's, that's really right there, right? Romans chapter 16, right here. Greet also the church in their house. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it says the same thing. chapter 13 talks about how 
says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And we've read that phrase before. You've had that happen to you probably in your life as you've been hospitable to somebody or you've served somebody and you recognize that was like that was like God's angel somehow in my life. I wasn't expecting that. And, and that they were really important in my life and I turned around and they were gone. Many of you have had that happen to you. And it, or it's been a part of what you've been able to do. Be hospitable. And Peter says in his book, show hospitality with to one another. Without what? <laughs> Look, I'm grumbling. Stop it, Pastor. Stepping on my toes. <laughs> I'll be hospitable, but then I really don't want to do it. Be hospitable. Show hospitality without grumbling. How can you use your home? How can you invite people in your home for discipleship, for friendship, for evangelism? How can I do the same thing in opening up my home? people know that Christ dwells here. That this house stands for the Lord. Because for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Joshua chapter 24. Interesting, you know, you can go in your bulletin and you can find people who, who are opening up their homes. A small group. Their homes are open. They're practicing hospitality. Why? Because they want to get to know you. I was even with one of those leaders this week. And he said, if you know anybody that needs to get involved in a small group, but Get them, send them our way. Especially if they live in Pueblo, because that's where he lives. Look at it. Get involved. There's a chance for you to, to be a part of somebody's life in a very, very special way. If they welcome you into their home, if they're hospitable, and they open up that home for friendship and evangelism and, and discipleship. Wow, what an opportunity. Now, you can come and join us in Sunday school, too. If you're not a part of that, I'll give the invitation there, too. Right here. Hospitality doesn't mean just your home, too. You can just be friendly when you come into church. That'd be a good thing, hospitality right here. A good thing in your Sunday school class, you go around and greet everybody and say hi to everybody. That's always my goal as I go into a class. I don't want to get to everybody. I don't do it all the time, but I want to get to know you. I want to say you're important, you're valuable to me, and especially I do it every Sunday to our kiddos. I just want them to know their pastor loves them. He cares for them. They're important to me. Jesus is So as we think about hospitality, what would, what would the Apostle Paul say about your hospitality? You're opening your heart and your home to others and being a part of their lives, getting to know one another. I encourage you to do it as you come in on Sunday morning and love on the people around them. Many times the loneliest moment of the week is sitting here all by yourself. Just reach out. Say, I don't know them. Well, they probably don't know you either, so get to know them. Find some common ground. Talk about tent making. Ask them. Where are you from? What do you do? What brought you to Pueblo West? Where do you live? All those sorts of questions open up doors so that you can talk and you can develop friendship. And this is important. This is valuable. You need to develop a relationship with people. And then if you meet somebody new, invite them to Sunday school. Or maybe you can even invite them to lunch afterwards. But you know what I'm saying. Just to say, you're important. You're valuable to me. 
we want you to be part of our family. Huh? What would the Apostle Paul say? Would you make us live in this area? Longevity. I didn't have to make up that word either. That, that really is a word, I believe, huh? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what. Paul wrote 13 New Testament letters. If you knew that or not. But Paul wrote 13 New Testament letters. 1 Thessalonians is probably considered his first one that he's written, probably about 45 A.D., 47 A.D., somewhere in there. And then 2 Timothy is probably his last letter that he wrote, probably 62, 63, somewhere in there A.D. So if 2 Timothy is his last letter, and he mentions Priscilla and Aquila, they've been hanging around him, around the church, for a good number of years. Now, they didn't live as long then either, as typically as we live today. But the fact is, I see some longevity in that. He meets them in Corinth. They go with him to Ephesus, right? They've been to Rome, and they're back in Ephesus, as best I can put it all together. They've stayed with the Lord those years, maybe 10, 13 years. It's not a lot in our time, but the fact is, in their day, it's probably fairly significant, 10, 13 there's a longevity to them. There's a faithfulness to them. As Paul remembers them in his last letter, he remembers them very much. They've been faithful to the Lord. They've been faithful to the local church. They were involved and still serving, probably opening up their home for a home church. When I think about that faithfulness, the longevity, it reminds me of the phrase I gave you, oh, I don't know, a couple, maybe a year ago or so, and I've used it before that too, when Eugene Peterson said that the Christian life, walking with Jesus, needs to be this, a long obedience to Sticking with it, with Jesus, a long obedience to the same direction, following Jesus Christ. And we know that in this day and age that many are abandoning the faith and their faith. In our day, we know that many are abandoning the faith and their faith this day. They're deconstructing their faith, as the term has been used, abandoning the historical biblical beliefs of the Christian faith. They no longer sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. They sing, whatever, 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 I am the Almighty. They've lost their first love. They've said, this is more important, what I want, versus what God wants. And I think Priscilla and Aquila are examples of Jude's challenge when he says, only one chapter in Jude. I think it's verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I had to kind of switch gears, kind of what he's saying in parentheses. Jude says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith that was once delivered to them. Stick with Stick with what we know in the Word of God. Hang on to it. Contend for it. Don't abandon it. Don't leave it behind. We need you to contend for the faith. And I think that as we think about Priscilla and Aquila, we see that in their lives, in this longevity and this faithfulness to God and to the local church. In our study and men's study on Wednesday nights, uh, we've been going 
um, through this book by David, doc, Dr. David Jeremiah. Uh, where do we go from here? It's been a really, really good study. It, he talks about um, the, the byline is um, how tomorrow's prophecies foreshadow today's problems. The prophecies from the past, how they foreshadow where we're at. And it, as we think in the last days, of course, you know, because Paul wrote and he thought you're in the last days too, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4. But the fact is, we, we see what's taking place. People around us abandoning the faith and their own faith. It's been a great study. But in the book, he says this, and the, the, the uh, last week's study was the theological prophecy of people falling away. It quotes Jude in there. But he says, he says this, that uh, in 1937, 73% of people were church members. In 2020, less than 50% are church members. And I would say probably if you t- extrapolated that out and did church attendance in any given day in Colorado, 10% of people go to an evangelical church. Now many of you have been around for a few years and you know people used to go to church used to have Sunday night service and be full. I grew up with that. Now we can hardly get them to come to Sunday morning. Even believers come on Sunday morning. There's been a great change. There's been a falling away of, of Christians to the faith. Many millennials today, we know they're, they're nuns. They have no spiritual affiliation. There's been a falling away, just in our culture, but even among believers. There's been an abandoning of the faith of their faith. Many are not contending, many Christians are not contending anymore, they're compromising. I think about our situation here. I don't know, I don't have any stats, but my guess is at least 50% of people that live in Pueblo West or Pueblo had some kind of church affiliation growing up. Vacation Bible school, youth group, maybe school, you know, fellowship and yet we know only 10% of people in Colorado go to church on a regular basis. A lot of people out there, maybe you were there for a while. You were involved, and then you had those years where you went through the desert. And I just want to say to you, my friend, stick to Jesus. Stick to Jesus. What would the Apostle Paul say about your longevity studies of the youth pastors now almost 
that staff's been around for 30 years, 40 years. And it's not just the young people in the college age that are abandoning Jesus. Senior adults are abandoning Jesus, too. Not contending for the faith. Well, I don't really believe it anymore. My friends, it's true. you to have any desert years or deserted years. I don't want you to have any wasted years. I don't want to have those either. Let's help each other to stick with Jesus, to have longevity with Jesus. Our song, you've known many of these songs for years, but it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all. And we will have to give an accounting of our lives. And what a beautiful thing for him to be to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There wasn't a time when you deserted me. There wasn't a time when you walked away. There wasn't a time when you had wasted years. Oh, we're not perfect. We know that, of course. But the fact is, for him to be able to say to us, you've done good, servant. You've done good, sister. You followed what I had for you. Thanks for sticking with me. Things are going to get difficult. They always are in life. So we need to sing a hallelujah to the Lord when those times come. We don't just sing it on Sunday morning. We need to learn how to do it through the week. We applaud every time. Stick with it, my friends. Stick with it, sisters. Stick with it, Lord. And stick with Jesus. And have that longevity with him. Well, the last we put it all together is legacy. We got availability, we got servability. That's the third one. Hospitality, thank you very much. Longevity, legacy. I think we could say of Priscilla and Aquila, they were definitely everybody in. That's right. And they were definitely everybody in for the long haul. Or however long that was for them. They were in. That's kind of our theme for this year. Please don't talk enough about it, but we need to. We need to. That's what we're asking for you. Everybody in, all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at what we've read, the various passages about Priscilla and Aquila, he gives this short, encouraging report in different places about their flexible availability, about their passionate serve, about their gracious hospitality and their faithful lives. And they are certainly an example that we should emulate, right? Yes? Yes, thank you. Still with me here. Got a few more minutes. Keep you going here, right? They left a legacy that Paul joyfully recognizes and we get to realize. Johnny Dash was sent me some information from somebody and he gets these things from my blog post. And that gentleman said this legacy is what will be said about me in other people's stories. That's my legacy. That's your legacy. What will be said about me in other people's stories? So earlier I asked you four times, what would the Apostle Paul say of you regarding your availability, your servability, your hospitality, your longevity? But let me make it a little bit more personal here. What do you want your pastor? 
major pastor. Someday you'll probably have other pastors that will follow you up. But what do you want them to say about you when they conduct your memorial? Or your funeral? I'd say the example of the stolen pearls is pretty good. That was available in the Lord Jesus Christ. I served up my home, my life, my heart to other people. I stuck with him all those years. And this is my legacy. He would give that to other people. Since we are each accountable for our legacy, how so how's your legacy building going? This gentleman and how he's building the information. What have you done recently to add value? Not just good things. Good things are good, but but godly things to people's lives. How are you adding value? How am I adding value to people's lives? Just like Priscilla and Aquila did. Let me read you a story that I got just yesterday. It kind of puts it all together. This is written by a pastor in the Tennessee area. Let's listen. Our church sends mission teams to Ridgecrest Conference Center every year to serve students attending huge camps, Missions Huge, Centrifuge, the camps that our Southern Baptists put on. They do a great job at those camps. It's a wonderful service opportunity and one I recommend churches consider. Our mission team performs a variety of tasks such as doing laundry, working in the kitchen, serving in the coffee shop, cleaning the cafeteria. You know, all the mundane tasks Jesus would do. <laughs> That's so good. All the mundane tasks this year's trip in June began like all the others. Our church staff received pictures and videos of the mission team laughing and showing us the proper way to fold a fitted sheet. I was away with the office, from the office with my daughter for college orientation, but enjoying the good-natured humor from afar. But around 5 p.m., oh, that's not good. That's when I received a call from one of the team members frantically crying that Nick was My emotions redlined. I literally could not believe what I just heard. After composing myself, calming my friend, she explained that Nick had had a heart attack, had no pulse, and people were doing CPR with no results. I could hear the sirens wailing in the background the entire time we were talking, but the groans and breaking of my heart were even louder. First responders took him to the hospital where they officially pronounced him dead. Nick's wife, Marla, his daughter, Nicole, and granddaughter, Mary Clay, were all Rich Crest held a special place in that family's lives. Many precious family memories were made there over the years. When Nick had his heart attack, it was his daughter who began CPR. It was very likely the last day she saw him this side of heaven. Rich Crest was eight hours from our church. Our staff and media held a conference call and decided to send a group of men to bring the mission team home. This was a highly traumatic experience for everyone involved, and we needed to get them back ASAP. We had a beautiful one of the most personal services in which I have ever seen. Family and friends shared stories, and one of Nick's grandsons played and sang a song that Nick wrote a few years ago. Nick was honored. God was glorified. Later, while processing all that happened, God revealed to me that Nick's loss was a tragedy. Nick was 75 years old. He 
being a deacon, training the choir, filled in when our music ministry was gone, taught a Sunday school class for decades, helped launch our Celebrate Recovery ministry, watch tables, pop popcorn for VBS, and did it all. Faithful husband, loving father and grandfather. Lord, our church is humble for him. Nick's life is a testimony to those of us who remain. It was a life well lived. He showed us what a joy-filled disciple of Jesus looks like. I can only hope and pray that, like Nick, I finish well. I hope to cross that finish line with sweat on my brow and a smile on my face because I have the honor to be joined with you in Jesus. During one of his devotionals to celebrate recovery, Nick said he wanted to serve God until his final breath. God allowed him to do so. That's no tragedy. understood what it meant to serve. He understood what it was to open up his heart and his home for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it with love. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's what God calls us to do. Not just to get by, not to be mediocre, but to serve him with everything we've got. How do we're supposed to love him? our all, our heart, and our soul, and our mind.